Before we get to today's show, I just want to say, welcome to Restaurant Critic Week. That is right, we are dedicating this week to diving into the much-debated, often-discussed, and thoroughly misunderstood world of restaurant criticism. In the past, we've welcomed critics on the show, including Ruth Reuschel, Pete Wells, and Robert Sietzema. This week, we are welcoming three more from America's most exciting food cities. Who could they be? I'm not going to say now. But to start, here's my conversation with the New Yorker's Table for Two columnist, Hannah Goldfield. Yeah, I think we're at like the apotheosis of the celebrity chef, and it feels like something's about to to change there. Yeah, I mean, it's a kind of classic schedule. It's like the art is being made about this as the fall has started to to start. I think like we're I think we're sort of past that moment. You're listening to the Taste Podcast. I'm your host Matt Rodbard. Hannah Goldfield is the Tables for Two columnist for The New Yorker and one of my favorite food writers around. I wanted to have Hannah back on the show to talk about her methodology in picking restaurants, some of her recent favorites, and honestly, we wanted to talk about that little movie called The Menu. I talk about it with her and producer Pat Stango, and we have a lot of thoughts. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hannah Goldfield, welcome back to the Taste Podcast. Thank you for having me. So excited. So excited. I want to have you back time and again because you're <laughs> always fun to talk to you. You're a fun to follow on social and also just such a, a voice in food media, a clairvoyant voice. <laughs> um, you, were, you were like one of the first really dedicated restaurant critics for The New Yorker, for The Tables for Two Calm, which many of our listeners have been reading forever. You write some of the longest reviews in the magazine's history. And we talked about this in 2019 when you were first on the show. And I'm going to ask you again, how the hell do you pick the restaurants to review? (laughs) Um, It's really hard. That's, I think, maybe the hardest part of the job. Um, I mean, the writing, the writing is hard, too. But I, I, I find that to be just like this constant puzzle. I'm sort of just kind of feeling it out because I, I, I feel feel like I have this intuitive sense of texture that I'm trying to go for. Like I'm trying to spread it out in all different ways, spread it out geographically, spread it out in terms of, um, you know, category of cuisine and price point. Um, and, and then also just trying to find places that feel somehow unique or important. They're, you know, it's kind of like why this restaurant, but also why this restaurant mm. now. There's, there's a newsier element. I think the best yeah. restaurant critics, you, you being one of them, Wells as well, there's always some kind of news angle. It feels like it's it's why now. Yes, exactly. You're trying to tell the story of, you know, the city um, through through restaurants. And so, yeah, I, I, I kind of drive myself crazy <laughs> every week trying to figure out if I'm landing on the right mix. And... So, you know, I that happens through kind of a really, again, like just sort of intuitive research mm-hmm. project where I'm just trying to like keep track of everything that's opening, keep track of things that other people are covering, trying to decide if it makes sense to cover a place that, you know, another critic has covered or how, how much time has passed since the other critic covered it and just trying to make sure that just try, trying to think of, I guess, this kind of platonic ideal of a mm-hmm. reader who – reads lots of things. I don't know. I'm just trying to 
just strike the exact right. It's hard, too, because your publication, unlike like an Eater New York or the New York Times, your publication goes out to everybody. Yeah. And you have to say something that's obviously going to resonate with um, the Topeka reader, the Kalamazoo right. reader, who maybe isn't coming to New York this year. And their restaurant might not even be open the next time in New York, but you have they read you every right, week. Right, right. And and I want yeah, I just I want it to be an interesting story and to have some kind of literary merit so that it's interesting yeah. kind of in a vacuum too for someone that's not mm. um ever gonna eat at the restaurant or, or as you say, even come to New York. Mm-hmm. Um and that's that that that's my favorite kind of feedback to get. That's when I know I'm I'm doing a yeah. good job is when I someone, you know, DMs me from Australia and says, I've never been to New York. I'm probably never gonna be in New York, or at least I, I won't be in New York anytime soon, but I love yeah. reading your reviews. That's so cool. Yeah. That's great feedback. Let's get into the nuts and bolts and the Google Cal invites of your job because, you know, the scheduling. Have, did you get an assistant? I do not have an assistant. You didn't have it last time. You don't have it now. <laughs> nope. I don't Bl- think there's any budget for an no. assistant from uh, on the magazine or in my in my uh, in my own personal budget. Um, it's all it's all up to me. I'm trying to be really. Um, really stringent about using my Google Calendar, actually. I've gotten to the point where I'm, like, putting everything on my yeah, Google, Google Calendar. Yeah, Google Calendar's great. Now, it's great. Yeah, sponsored by Google, our, our, <laughs> our podcast. But I, I want to know, like, how do you keep it all straight in terms of, like, the booking of reservations? And because, like, you don't want to dine at 5 all the time. But, right. like, clearly it's impossible to book not at 5. Right. Well, I can't dine at 5, actually, right. because I have two small children. Yeah. And they they dine at 5 yeah. <laughs> in my home. And right. I'm responsible for their for their dining. Um, so <laughs> And my husband and I have kind of sorted it out where, like, he— he stays at home with the with the kids when I go out. So I try to go out after they go to bed. So it's like yeah. a post seven o'clock situation. Um, that's been really hard yeah. as as you, I'm sure you know as a person, as anyone yeah. in New York who tries to make reservations, mm-hmm. it's gotten harder than ever. So I have like a million resi notifies set at any given moment. <laughs> I also, you know, I go to a lot of places where you don't need a reservation. Like you don't need a reservation to go to most places in like flushing, for yeah. example, you need you know a, a, a big chunk of time to get there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm just I'm it, that's that's my other struggle is is figuring out the schedule and yeah. I, I and try your to, dinner companions. You, you and can't, my dinner companions. You can't roll solo. No, we've never. shared meals, and I I appreciate yeah. the invite. I'm always open yeah. to, to hang with you. I think people often I, I'm I'm almost always inviting people at the very last minute yeah. and some people I think think that they're like oh like I'm the seventh down the line and I'm like no 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 yeah. <laughs> I just have only gotten this together today yeah. Yeah. figured out I'm going to go to this place tonight can you come so yeah. I have a list of friends who are like who I just know are like you know can drop everything and are down to do that um, but I'm also always trying to like diversify that and just trying to loop in people from all corners of my life. And, um, you know, there are people who like know a lot about a certain kind of food or a certain part of the city. And so I try to be strategic. That's fun. And you get to meet people. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I've I have, I've definitely made new friends by inviting them. Let's name drop a celebrity. There's gotta be somebody, (laughs) it could be a media celebrity. It could be a Brooklyn celebrity, but who's, who's who I've taken to dinner. Yeah. Let's, I mean, Remnick probably has had one meal. He, I don't think I've ever gone out 
okay. to eat with him, have I? I, I? I think he's joked about wanting to come. Yeah. Maybe he's not joking, but I'm like, I can't go out to dinner with my boss yeah. like, while I'm on the... It's a little crazy. He's pretty public. It would and you be, don't want... yeah. yeah, well, that's the other thing. Yeah. But I should, I I, I would I would love to. Okay. I, we've, had, we've had lunch, actually, but not for um, yeah, I'm sure. not for official purposes. What about what about the real... I'm trying to think. Is there... Have I... Um, I mean, mostly I just go with like the same couple of friends. Yeah. I'm, I'm truly racking my brain to think if yeah. there's anybody. I put you on the spot, and also it's a tough, <laughs> it's a cringy question. No, I, I, I like the question, but um, maybe right. I'll we'll maybe come I'll back think to it. Of, yeah, think yeah, about let, it. let's come back to it. I bet um, I'll think of someone. The deadline. Let's talk about that. I've had yeah. Wells on, I've had Sitsima, I've had Bill Addison on. I've had a great critics in our country on, and it's always a question about the deadline because it's ruthless. It is a like it's a weekly deadline to write about a restaurant. How do you handle that? I think I sort of thrive in the structure. Um, I think that if I didn't have a weekly deadline, I would maybe never write anything. Yeah. So it's a lot of pressure and it's it's a breakneck pay. It's just cr- yeah. like, yeah, it's a lot. But I also, I find that like the rhythm of it is kind of propulsive for me. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and like, and the fact, if I had to write like a a totally different format every week I would absolutely lose my mind but because it's like a rubric because I'm sticking to the same kind of boundaries um I think it's like the only writing I could do (laughs) yeah no right now (laughs) this is you're in the column brain I'm sure your future career when you stop writing about restaurants will open you up to a lot of different formats totally yeah yeah, but and 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 hopefully I'll I'll because I yeah I don't think I mean, who knows? I guess I could do this forever, but it seems like it would be a little a little hard on the body. Um, yeah. Uh, for and for and and various other and and the mind, I guess. But also. you have you know you were at tea. You you have a history. You're not just a food yeah. writer. I mean, you no. certainly have in- other interests. Outside for of sure. Food, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've always been obsessed with food. I think I'll yeah. always I'll always be professionally interested in food. Um, but yeah, but I but I hope I'll be able to figure out how to write uh, yeah. other form. And, and I have written longer form stuff, but I actually yeah. do kind of like it's the the deadline is rough, but but because it's these kind of smaller things, it feels generally manageable. How close <laughs> have you gotten to missing the print deadline? Because, you know, you have a hard print deadline, yeah. which is the, the tricky part. It's not like online where you can kind of fudge a little bit. Like you, right. Things are being printed in like Arkansas or whatever. Yeah. Are. I've never, I've never come, I've never like held up the process. I've definitely <laughs> like my editor, I have a great editor who's like so understanding and gives me kind of a wide berth. And so mm-hmm. one of my goals this year is to actually meet the deadlines that, that she, that she gives me that we kind of decide on together. But we both know that there's a mm-hmm. big wiggle room within that and I've never like pushed it to the I'm, I often miss the our official deadline but oh. I've never pushed it to the point where like ah. where anyone is yeah I, I'm, I'm realizing like yeah deadline. she does I don't even know if like yeah I, I guess that's I guess we, it's probably more intentional I think all editors know than a I realize oh yeah I'm just that's the kind of person I am like if you want me to be somewhere at four o'clock yeah. tell me to be there at 3 30 and I'll be there at 3 59 you know yeah, like yeah. I just think it makes a lot of sense I want to get into some of your recent columns um great Sicko. I'm calling it sicko. Psycho. <laughs> I, th- I think I think uh, Tammy Declamarian called it sicko when we were on. When oh, we were really? Interview. But I think it's called psycho. I think they pronounce it psycho. I don't know if that's intentional. I was thinking, oh, they should have called it circo. But yeah. then someone, a friend who is a um, Korean speaker, told me that that the word psycho is actually like the English word psycho is actually used mm. a lot by Koreans, like in, when speaking Korea. So like maybe colloquialism, yeah. Yeah, so maybe it's intentional. I, I don't think 
so, but I should have asked because no, so it's come up a lot. It's, it's, it's a really cool idea. I've not yeah. been. I, I feel really shameful that I have not made it out there. But it's a Syrian and Korean restaurant. Two families joined together. What a great story. But let's talk about the food. What's happening it's there. It's great. I love it. Um, I, I really I appreciate the fact that they just kind of like smashed it t- together. Yeah, um, literally. I, yeah. yeah. I, yeah I, I interviewed um, this guy, Mazen, who's kind of the... He's I mean, it's yeah, he's he owns the restaurant with his sister and her husband, who is Korean-American and then also their their brother. Um, But he's kind of like the face of the of the restaurant. And he's the the like main chef. Um, And 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 I thought it was fascinating that he told me, you know, he so he is born and raised in Syria, had a restaurant there, um, came to the States a few years ago. And then his sister started dating this Korean American guy. And that was how he was introduced to Korean food. And he was so like taken with it Mm -hmm. immediately. Um, and they started cooking it together. And then he said he experimented with, with sort of fusion and it just didn't, didn't work. He was saying, uh, I did, this didn't make it into the piece, but I think he was saying that like the sesame oil that that is so prevalent in Korean food didn't feel like a fit for Syrian food, yeah. um, and so he decided, like, I'll just I'll just make both, um, and just present them together, and somehow it works. Um, yeah, left menu, right menu setup is, is yeah. so special. Yeah, and and you don't see that that much. Although no. I really liked that Tammy compared, and this was actually in a version of the piece that got cut for yeah. space. But I did cite the fact that she described it as like a a combination Taco Bell and Pizza Hut, but um, but Korean and and Syrian. I'm not sure the order of the interviews, but literally Heems from Dust Races is following you. Oh, that's so funny. That of song, course, literally. that is so funny. So you'll meet him in Love the lobby that. if he's downstairs. Oh my god. Amazing. I, I, I want to make it out there and try both sides of the menu. Yeah. Um, another restaurant that I think is getting a lot of press. I have not been. I have lunch there next week is SMP. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that. That place is so dear to my heart. I, I love that. I, I think I, I think I called that my favorite restaurant opening of, of 2022. And if I didn't say that in print somewhere, I, that is how I feel. That's so cool. Yeah. I just, I, I, I mean, I love those guys. I've, yeah. I've just been a hardcore Court Street Grocers fan from the very beginning. I used to live right by the original one and I would go there like mm-hmm. multiple times a week. I've heard it's really hard to get a sandwich there now on a weekday, which yeah. is so funny. I used to everyone, live in the neighborhood as well. And, yeah. and it's, it's a tricky order to well, get a But you there. used to be able to, like in the early days, oh, yeah. you just walk in and get a sandwich. But now I think because everyone's working from home, it's you have to wait like hours. It lines up. Definitely yeah, which is but like it's justified. But anyway, so I, I think those guys are great. I really like High High Room. Mm-hmm. When I found out they had bought Eisenberg's, I was really excited because I think they just have such good instincts and yeah. taste. Um, but I thought for sure that they were going to kind of like translate it to today in some way. Like I thought they were going to find some kind of hot young chef and like keep the space kind of retro because High High Room is sort of like retro inspired. Yeah. It's very like cheeky. It's all sort of. I think it's like point of view. Like yeah. High High has a vision. It feels totally. like it's like kind of like that that severance. Like it's like modern yes. and future at the same time. Yes. Or, or modern and past and future all at the same exactly. time. Exactly. So so I assume that they were going to do something like that at Eisenberg's. And by the way, I loved, I've always loved Eisenberg's. It's the the food was never like oh my gosh incredible, but it was good, it was and fine. it just felt like this old school New loved York it. place. Loved it. I loved going there in the Flatiron. Yeah. It was such a great like lunch breakfast meeting place. Totally, and just so like inviting yeah. and kind of homey, and just mm. felt like from this era that doesn't exist anymore. Um, so I was just like beyond thrilled and moved to 
go to S&P and realize that what, in fact, that they have done is just preserve it and make it somehow like more itself. Like they just did such a like deft kind of edit to it and they didn't really add anything. They just sort of honed it. And the space is like a one of one in New York. Yes. Very few counters exist, especially Jewish Ashkenazi style counters. Exactly. And they literally, like the literal counter is the original counter. Yeah. Um, It's like 40 feet long or something. And they did a bunch of like, they kind of cleaned it up, but you you can't really tell. Like I had such funny conversations with them about how people, um, you know, they, they, it just matches people's memories of it, even yeah. when the memories aren't real. So people will say, like, thank God you kept this. And they're like, uh-huh. And it's, uh-huh. like, something that they, you know, like, new stools or whatever. And, like, the stools look exactly the same. Or, they, or, or the food has changed. And people are like, this pastrami is exactly as I remembered it. And they're like, well, we get the pastrami from a totally different supplier and we use different bread. But it's, like, the point is, is that they've managed to nail that. It's funny how taste memories are, are fun through time, right? Like, oh, that, that's the same. And you're like, no, right. it's actually, the, the last one was maybe Cisco. Right. Like, <laughs> but all that matters is that it lines up with your idea yeah. of what it was and gives you that warm and, and fuzzy feeling. I, and um, and that place just really does it for me. And the food is good because yeah. it's there. They're like, they, they have this obsessive kind of system for like figuring out what the best ingredients Mm -hmm. are for really simple things, but not, and it's so not about what's the fanciest or what's even like the objectively, like, is that, you know, or is this canned tuna better than this canned tuna? That's not really the question. It's what tastes best in combination with the mayo and whatever that like, creates the perfect tuna sandwich and yeah. I just really admire their can't wait to visit dedication yeah you gotta go what's uh where have you been this week where have you been what have you been hitting up so this week so I went to Urban Hawker um I went to Lords, which I'm yeah. writing about fish and chips uh Dame is fish and chips oh, Lords sorry. is like their nose to tail oh nose to tail fish their, and chips their guys. sophomore effort truly the the it restaurant group of the 22 yes, three. totally. Those they're guys. they're hot right now. Hot. Um, so I went there. Where else have I been? I'm I'm like my my short term memory is yeah. really shot. Last weekend or was it two weekends ago? I went to Queens three times. I was really proud of nice. myself. <laughs> um, and I went. I, I'm writing about uh, the piece that's coming out this week is about um, Egg Holic, which is an Indian egg restaurant in Floral Park, Queens, which is I think the farthest I've been. Yeah. In Queens, it's like almost Long Island. Love that name. Yeah, Egg Holic. Yeah. yeah. So I learned that was th- this was a piece that was so much fun to write because I learned so much yep. about Indian food that I didn't know. Um, and the the history of the egg in Indian food is actually super yeah. fascinating. Um, and so yeah, so it's a totally egg themed restaurant where they just have like dozens of egg dishes, which is not a thing that I think most people in the states associate. Don't with associate food. with like Punjabi cuisine right. or Carolin cuisine. But it's a not. big deal yeah. in India, um, yeah. and and it's this franchise um, that's all over the country and. Oh. Canada, and then I learned that there's a rival franchise called Eggmania. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, opening up this whole, uh, this thing that I just had no That's idea. what I love about your style, because I think you really know how to nail uh, the big picture with your columns. Thank you. Yeah, it's really a, a really a skill. Hannah, what what has been the fanciest meal you've ever, ever had? So I went to Le Bernardin for the first time recently, which is pretty, pretty fancy. I feel mm-hmm. like that's just like objectively like... Yeah. You know the the apex of of fine dining um, in New York, um, and then I was thinking I I there like when was this in 2013 maybe maybe even I think it was 2013 
there was this project I wrote about it. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it was called, but it was like someone was bringing together like chefs in different cities and having them do these kind of pop-up dinners. And um, it was probably like San Pellegrino. Yeah, like, yeah. They always did that shit. Yeah, it, it, like. it probably was. Now yeah. that I think about it, yeah. but um, Grant Ackett's, I can yeah. never pronounce his name correctly. Yep. He came and did. It was maybe with Alex Stupak. Cool. And they did this like 12 course tasting menu. Where was it? I can't remember what restaurant it was at. Maybe it was at an Alex Stupak restaurant. Mm. And not only was it like fancy and formal, but it was just the most elaborate meal Mm -hmm. I think I've ever had. Like I remember like getting to like the eighth course or something and I'm feeling like, oh my God, I'm like a prisoner. Like this is like, like I'm being fattened for the slaughter. Like it was just too much. And it was so, everything was so beautiful and carefully done, but it was just like an excess that I was. Maybe not your vibe. Also not my vibe. (laughs) Also teasing of a, a topic to be discussed later. Yes. Prisoner at a yes, fine dining restaurant. Exactly. Well, uh, yes. We'll get to that. Yeah. But um, Bachelor Bernardin. Yeah. Did, were you, did they know you, who you were? Yeah. So so in this case, it's really hard to make a reservation yeah. at La Bernardin. It's hard to make reservations anywhere. Yeah. But, Makes um, your job like very difficult. Yes. Respect. respect yeah. It. It's really. And I try not to make reservations. Um, under my own name, I try to just go for the most part as, yeah. you know, just an anonymous diner. Um, in this case, I I wanted to go because well, it was the 50th anniversary mm-hmm. and I kind of wanted to take stock of it a, a little bit. But but I wanted there to be I mean, I could have totally written a column where I just re- reviewed Liberty or Dead. But but um, as you know, because it's not so far from the office, mm-hmm. um, there's this new cafe called Lamy Pierre yeah. that has Eric Repair's name on it. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Like so many interesting things happening in Midtown. So I kind of wanted to review that place, which is sort of what I ended up doing. I kind of ended up writing a column just about like Midtown. I, Did I you? Say. Is it published yet? Yes, it was. It was it, yeah, it was, a, it was yeah. a few weeks ago. Um, or like at the end of last yeah. year. Uh, but anyway, I felt like, well, I've never been to La Bernardin. I, I, I've been there when, when I was a freelancer or an editor. Maybe I'd gone to like some press events there, but I never had just, yeah. I'd never just gone for a meal. So I went for lunch by myself and I did make the reservation through the, the publicist. Mm-hmm. Um, so they knew that I was there. Yeah. I sort of feel like that's the kind of place that would figure out who you were. Likely. <laughs> anyway. Absolutely likely. <laughs> but yeah, they fully, they fully knew who I was. Um, but I wasn't. It wasn't like a proper. Yeah, and you, you can't switch a restaurant like for one person. I mean, no, and we've that's been well written about criticism. You know, the anonymity is right. not essential to the job. Right, not anymore. Um, yeah. Not anymore. Uh, I love that meal. I love Le Bernardin so much. I, yeah, I, I've been several times and I love it. I just think it's the place I want to splurge. Yeah, the most. It's 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 iconic. It really feels yeah. like. Yeah. Did you get to hang with Pierre? Did you meet that guy? I I saw he kept he was bopping in and out of the cafe. I went there a few times and he was kind of always there. He's interesting. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah. He I got to very... spend some time with him. He's cool. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a funny place. I can't I can't quite. I'm I I'll be interested to see if it evolves at all. I can't quite put my finger on on what it is or what it's trying to do, but. It's interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's it's Midtown needed it. Yeah, I think like it's it's definitely a comment on on Midtown yes. and and what office workers and tourists because this is becoming more of a tourist center. I mean, we're at Fifty Six and Broadway where we record and where I work and where we rec- I mean our HQ and like it's 
increasingly becoming more for not New Yorkers. Yeah. Because of the offices have cleared out. Right. Right, you know? right, right, right. And that's like totally encapsulated by Rock Center and Rock Center. what's going on there. Yeah, it's definitely Midtown is having like a real identity <laughs> crisis in a good way. I think it's like everyone's figuring out yeah. what it is. I've always loved Midtown, so I'm 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 happy to be Me watching too. what's going on. Yeah, Midtown's it, like it a great like, departure from where Brooklyn, you know. Yeah, and it just feels like so essentially New York. I've always been a staunch defender of Midtown. Like I just feel like it's like it's it's the real deal and you can hate it and think it's oh, yeah. like ugly and stupid or whatever, but this is New York. <laughs> Sneaky great coffee neighborhood too. Yeah. Midtown's oh, yeah. got some um, spots. Where was it that I used to uh uh culture oh. espresso? Great. 36 and 38 Street, yep. the best chocolate chip best cookies chocolate in cookies. New York City. Still, as you think that's still true, it definitely was true like when I went there all the time 10 years ago. I mean, probably. Hannah, do you, wa- yeah. you want to go on a crawl? <laughs> Maybe we should. That's a good idea. That, that one not to be mentioned place that always gets written about. I just can't. The you know La Mi Pierre. I thought their chocolate chip cookies excellent was really, chocolate chip really cookie. good and different, like really unique. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. I yeah, love it. I would love that. Let me ask you: if you could go back in time to any era of New York City dining and just go back for like a weekend with like a notebook <laughs> and an empty stomach and be able to like really absorb, you know, what is happening and and write about it. Where, like, what era would that be? Ah, that's a really good question. Um. I think it would it would be like either like the 20 like sometime in the first half of the 20th century so like the 1920s or the mm-hmm. 50s like the automat era I feel like cool. that would have like I'd love to like go to like the like the original horn and hard art is that what it's called yeah and mm-hmm. and see what what that was like or or go to like um in the 20s or turn of the century like Lundy's which was that that place in Sheep's Head Bay or like the original Gage and Tol- Tolner yeah. that sort of like lavish kind of like I, I'd love to know what it was like to go to an oyster yeah. bar in that era but I'll, but that's also because I would just want to see what New York in general not even beyond the the dining just like what the city felt like I would I love that era I would love to eat Japanese food in 1950 yeah some totally. of those early Japanese yes. restaurants yes I'd be so curious to see what Asian restaurants yeah. were like across the board in in the earlier part of the 20th century because yeah. it must have been such a different thing. Uh, I, I I feel like New York in the, through through generations through eras it like turns over every like five years. Yeah, I feel every five years there's a new something to write about. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. Um, should we talk about the menu? Yeah. I feel like we should talk about the menu. I'm 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 thinking. Well, first let's talk about cookbooks, and then we'll get to the menu. Okay. I'm I'm, pre- I'm prepping you, Pat. You ready? You warmed up? <laughs> oh, I'm ready. Okay, you're ready. Good. We got Pat Stango here, our producer and and film uh, critic in his own right. I love I love hearing about your take on on films. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah. look at cookbooks. Keep talking about yeah. cookbooks, and then then I'm ready. Then I'm jumping in. All right, we'll go to cookbooks. I mean, what's your what's your style like? What in terms of in terms of your cooking, and like what kind of cookbooks do you connect with? Really good question. I love cookbooks. I'm like, I I mean, it's become such a cliche to say like, oh, I read cookbooks, you know, in bed. But it's true. I do like if I get a new cookbook, I'll take it to bed with me and read it before I fall asleep. That's great. Um, Yeah. I. What's my style? I don't know. I'm I'm kind of an omnivore when it comes to cookbooks. I just find them so like fascinating as kind of like historical documents. Um, My cooking life is so weird right now. I, you know, I'm eating out as much as I possibly can, and then I'm cooking for 
two really little kids. One mm-hmm. one is will be four in the spring, and one is like almost eighteen months. Um, and I try. I wrote about this actually. I wrote an essay about trying to cook for my family and not wanting to make lots of meals. I read that. Um, yeah, I, lo- I loved it. Thank it you. Was a great Thank, it was really fun. It was really fun to write. Okay, yeah. awesome. Um, we try to have family dinner when I'm not going out, or even if I am going out, I try to sit with the kids mm-hmm. when they're eating. Um, anyway, it's like kids are just it's it's totally fascinating. I think parenting is like it's like conducting a science experiment. It's amazing to watch these little people change so quickly. And eating is so weird. It's like they truly are just so mercurial about mm-hmm. food. One week they're like wanting to try, I mean, they're different ages, but one week they're wanting to try something and the next week they're like, my son keeps saying things are disgusting. And I'm like, how do you even know that word? <gasps> yeah, that word. <laughs> Get it out of your mouth. And it's things that are like objectively not disgusting. Like no. this is delicious. I, this what is, is one like, thing that they said was disgusting he, that you're like, oh my gosh. I made no offense to whoever's recipe this was <laughs> in the Times. I thought it was great. It was like an, an orzo and butternut squash, like sort of like risotto inspired dish but with orzo it was so good and my son was like this is disgusting well (laughs) yeah like how dare you yeah they are mercurial little guys aren't they (laughs) yeah they just like but it's not their it's just like their brain their brains are changing and their their tongues are probably changing anyway so um so yeah i'm like i'm at i'm kind of at their behest um but I do try to cook from cookbooks yeah. nonetheless. I'm doing like baking is a kind of a safe space because, yeah. you know, you can bake like kids, my kids at least will eat anything. They'll sweet. lick the spoons at least. They'll lick the spoons, but they'll also yeah. like they're if it's cake or cookies, yeah. they're eating it unless it's something like really yeah. like strong flavored. But even like I made like a cardamom uh, sour cream pound cake from Melissa Clark's mm-hmm. newest, I think, cookbook, yeah. the Dinner, d- in, Dinner one. in One. Yeah. yeah, that cake is so good. It's a great, I, I think I've made that. It's oh, so it's, familiar. It's yeah. amazing. I, yeah. I want to make it like every week. And the cardamom flavor is strong and the kids, yeah. the kids loved it. Um, so, so yeah, I, I do a lot of baking. Um, and then what are the other cookbooks I've been excited about recently? I mean, I read the book, the, the book that kind of inspired that essay was Ali Slagle's mm-hmm book um called I, cook, uh, I dream of dinner I so you don't dinner. have to which was great and and i at first i thought the title was kind of silly but it's so accurate yeah. <laughs> it's exactly right and that and i find it super charming um and you know i just got deb perlman's newest yeah. book which seems great i haven't have i made something from it yeah. i don't know i'm yeah i'm really into dinner cookbooks i guess that's yeah. that's my thing it's it's a great it's a great time to cook yeah you know absolutely. especially when you're writing during the day and yes but i look forward to getting yeah. to a point where i can like cook you know from um fuchsia dunlop's book or like my kids aren't yeah. super into spicy food right now so i'm not like diving into cooking szechuan at home or anything but someday soon I'll, enough I'll get they'll back be to that. and yeah. you'll teach them how to cook there for sure all right let's talk about the menu yes. we're gonna go around i'm introducing pat stangar producer host of the bo boys one of my favorite movie podcasts around. Pat. Oh, thank you. And the Taste listeners, they just must be blown away now that <laughs> the whole time the producer of Taste has been one of the B.O. boys. Yeah, but they're like, true. wow, what a what a like behind the scenes treasure you have there. Yeah. Um, Pat, I want to start with you. Let's, what's your take on the menu in terms of what what did you take away that really stuck with you from that film? So, I mean, I, I really liked it. Uh, you know, on the B.O. Boys, we talk about box office and this movie was a hit, which was great. It made like 38 million domestic. And it, I like that it was just a it wasn't a superhero movie, but it also wasn't a small art house film. It was just an old fashioned movie stars in a solid premise movie. And it executed it really well. 
you know, and it it just is what you saw in the trailer that it is mm-hmm. rich people going to a remote island and they're going to be something bad is going to happen. That's really what it was, but they just did it really well. I mean, I love the performances. I thought Ray Fiennes as the chef was great. Anya Taylor-Joy as the hero. And then Nicholas Holt. What a what a good looking yeah. goof that guy is. Yeah, really. Um, I, I loved him in The Great and very different from The Great. Mm-hmm. And Hannah, I want to ask you, uh, from your point of view, um, what did you take away? What hit you the hardest? Because it definitely hit me pretty hard in some ways. Yeah, I I, I kind of loved it, too. Um, I thought that it was deeply flawed in some ways, but just the central premise and we're we're is there a spoiler spoiler alert let's go spoiler alert um we're gonna talk about all the spoilers okay yeah yeah, because it's kind of hard to talk about it without giving it away so so i i would say that the central premise is that like the logical conclusion of fine dining is that Hmm. the staff is going to kill themselves and you (laughs) and i think that that's so funny because it is like the stakes get so high or at least that's like sort of the the message that um is is portrayed in some of these scenarios and it's like that meal i was talking about um, earlier, I thought of that of that meal, which again, no one, no one was trying to kill me, but I did like yeah. you do reach a point of of excess and this you know this attempt at perfectionism that just feels starts to feel like a nightmare and a joke, and that's yeah. kind of I just thought that the movie like hit upon that yeah. so uh, perfectly the way that the stodges, the CDC, the executive chef, and then the head chef would all sacrifice their life yeah. for the greater good of the restaurant and having this yes. final closing night. We will talk about Nicholas Holt's character because that, that triggered me the most. Um, I think that that was kind of like a version of food writer foodie. But there's also a, specifically a critic yeah. sitting in the room. Liam Bloom is the name of the character played by Janet McTeer. Great, great actress. Yeah. And her editor, Ted, sits across from her. Did you recognize that dynamic, that character at all? I mean, yeah. not, not for you, because I know you're not. Yeah. But, but did you recognize it? Maybe other past critics. I think so. I mean, it's a, it's you know, it's a, it's a caricature for sure. She seemed horrible. Is it? Is <laughs> I it? Think so maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that that kind of pretension and that kind of like, you know, like everything's sort of beneath, like the. She's, everything's kind of beneath her. She's she's there's a smugness there and a confidence that you have to have as a critic. I thought I thought it was pretty accurate. I thought it was funny that that she was supposed to work for Sever, which is a magazine that doesn't really exist. Yeah, that was a weird um, inaccuracy. They should, yeah, because think... that's not a magazine that ever really. I mean, they, they've written about restaurants, right? But it's not like. It, I feel like she should have been the critic but, for, like, a newspaper or Right. It, it, that was a weird that they actually went with a specific publication that doesn't really do that type yeah. of formal writing. Yeah, they, could, they should have made up a, yeah. a, a the name of a magazine or something. Um, Ted did it, look like Osland a little bit. So Yeah. No. <laughs> Just kidding. I love James Osland. Shout out to James. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I, I thought that that character was one of the least interesting, yeah. I guess. Maybe it's because it's too close well, to home well. for me. But I thought the other... The other characters were were much more interesting yeah. uh, ways to look at at this world. Well, I'll I'll get to you, Pat, because I want to get your take on 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 the the critic character. But I, I have to talk about Nicholas Holt a little bit because, for me, I think they nailed it with some of the obsessions he had in the room, like bergamot and Paco yeah. jets. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 
there is a time in my life where I talk to a chef about their Paco jet. Like I literally <laughs> talk to a chef about like, or do you have a Paco? Can I get a Paco jet for? So the fact that like a quote unquote civilian or food fan or serious eats fan or taste fan would walk into uh, a restaurant and like f- talk about the Paco jet. Yeah. I mean, this, this, this kind of like, he, he was like a fuck boy for, for, for food. Mm-hmm. And that's a real, uh, really, it's a real thing. Yeah. It's a real thing. Yeah. He felt very familiar to me. So cringy. So like yeah. such a geek and like, it, yeah, just so much secondhand embarrassment there, but there are people who do, it's like, I, it does he, he kind of compares himself to a sports fan, right? Is that, yeah. or yeah, like, you know, that's, yeah, this is his like Super Bowl or whatever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's hard not to like just totally want to look away. But it's so <laughs> accurate. It's and, so accurate. And bergamot is a cool choice because they picked something that wasn't like tied to a specific region of the world. Right. Bergamot is available throughout the world. And, right. But it's a flavor that's hard to pinpoint. I just right. think that's like the skill of the screenwriter. Yeah. Uh, picking that. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of accuracy definitely. there. I, 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 I think that they definitely like hit the hit those marks. Uh, really well. Pat, so is this a good movie? Oh, this is a very good movie. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just a good old-fashioned movie. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like a, a movie that in the 80s or 90s, Richard Gere mm. would have just mm-hmm. eaten up this kind of movie. Um, I love to talk about Nicholas Holt. This is sort of a, a bit of a horror movie. You know, it's like mixed genre comedy horror. To me, the most horrific scene in the movie was the sequence in which uh, Nicholas Holt finally had a cook. Oh, and yeah. the super fan oh had a cook. Yeah. I was so not scared for him, but it was the hardest scene to watch because he was just it was it was a horrific torture on the level of like a saw movie torture. Just him having to stumble through the kitchen. Totally painful, truly painful. Yeah. And he played it so well. Like he his character, his he totally transformed. Well, like, he he picked like I think the whole point was that he picked the most cliche like he picked like a lamb saddle and right. put, used like brown butter and used like very traditional French herbs in it. And I think that's the commentary from the chef is that you're just a cliche. Right. You think you know about food, but when given the pressure, you pick the most cliche right. item on the menu that you could put possibly right. make. And also he's shaking and he can't he can't chop the onion. And like the actual image of the dish is so funny. It's like yeah. leeks just haphazardly chopped. And yeah, that that I thought was oh, like... Finds commentary during it. Oh, oh so you're gonna you're yeah. not gonna cook both sides. Interesting, interesting, <laughs> interesting. And then and, and you know I got a Dominique Crenn did uh, did the food styling and and, oh. and did a lot of the the consulting on it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, they 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 went for it. That was like the real deal. Some like the dishes that were supposed to look like a dish that you would get at you know I felt like there were a bunch of restaurants that this restaurant was supposed to be amalgama- amalgamation yeah. of you know Noma and Willow's Inn and hmm. wherever else. Um, the ones that looked like they were supposed to look like they really yeah. they like I, one of my favorite scenes is the that the egg dish that's presented to the there's a scene which these the men are forced to you know be chased by yeah <laughs> it's so absurd anyway one of them gets presented with this egg dish that just looks exactly like something you would have at Lubernada absolutely or, or, or Noma yeah, yeah or, exactly or geranium yeah so uh, I have a question for you guys because this I feel like this type of movie if it was in the 80s or 90s the ray fines character would have been like an avant-garde artist you know like a painter or something or or he would have been a movie director 
And the fact that now you make this kind of movie where the main character is a chef, like that's sort of the height of pop culture celebrity. Would it, you know, it does say something about where food or the restaurant business is in the culture now, mm-hmm. where it is sort of like akin to what a uh, Andy Warhol would have been or, mm-hmm. you know, a, an artist would have been in the 80s. Yeah, I think we're at like the apotheosis of the celebrity chef and it feels like something's about to to change there. It feels like it's interesting that this movie, yeah, I mean it's a kind of classic schedule. It's like the art is being made about this as the fall has started to to start, I think. Like we're I think we're sort of past that moment, but it's capturing the the apex of yeah. the celebrity chef and the chef as as cult leader for sure. Yeah, I mean, art and life are are merging, and with the headlines of Noma closing, which yeah. I want to close our conversation with a little bit. But I have to ask you, Hannah. Again, spoiler, but they all die at the end. <laughs> they all die. They're 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 turned into s'mores. Can you? Do they deserve to die? Uh. No, I mean, no one deserves to die, um, you know, other than Hitler. Um, but uh, I, I do I do feel like that like that's the joke. And so, yes, I was like they had they all had to die. They had yeah. to die for the movie to to fulfill its uh, its premise. Um, I mean, I do. It, it they all they were all imperfect um in yeah. in their ways yeah. and they all had totally skewed um priorities i would say does anyone deserve to die for that no but they were yeah. they they were deserving of some kind of punishment they they deserve punishment because they all represented a type of diner in restaurants that i feel and many agree is just the downfall of restaurant yeah. culture yeah you know the entitled critic the celebrity who uh doesn't want to pay the food Foodie 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, like yeah. the next foodie who just is insufferable. Right. There's so many layers there. Yeah, and it's all like it's all sort of beside the point, in in my opinion. Yeah. You know, it's like losing sight of what food is, and and it's all about some, something else, status, yeah. and this kind of rarefied experience and money. You know, and that's and yeah. So. Can I ask you about a theory about the ending? Yes. Yeah. So my my sister posed this to me after she watched on HBO and then texted this to me. And again, spoilers for anyone listening. Do you think Anya Taylor-Joy dies at the end on the boat? Because this is my sister's theory that she firmly believes in. The beginning of the movie, uh, the uh, sous chef or uh, Ray Fiennes' you know, top assistant mentions that, oh, that beef. If you take it out one day early or whatever, it becomes poisonous. Like mm. she makes a point mm. of mentioning that. So my sister's theory, which is backed up by several Reddit threads, is that he gave her a poisoned meat hamburger because everyone has to die. Well, that's funny because my esteemed colleague and um, former, uh, not former, but many time taste podcast guest, Helen yeah. Rosner, her one complaint about the movie she told me just yesterday was that she felt like the hamburger should have been poisoned and that we should have seen yeah. her die. So I don't know if she read those theories or not, if she just she just came to that yeah. conclusion on her own. But I think that would have been a much better ending. I think an off-camera death film. is cool yeah. to theorize, to throw a little carrot in there. Yeah, I like that. Easter egg. Yeah. Um, I thought she was she she was well cast. I liked it. I liked her role. Yeah, but I totally thought she should have died. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I also thought I also wanted to know what happened to Nicholas Holt's character. I thought that I thought there should have been some cannibalism in the movie. I thought I yeah. I, I, I kept thinking that maybe like they were going to be forced to eat him in some yeah, way. Which was, his death was a little like lukewarm. Yeah, you know. Yeah. 
it's got flaws. Yeah. I mean, the film's yeah, got yeah. flaws, but yeah. it, but it's it's a real pleasure. It's on HBO Max. Thanks, Pat, for joining. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Now I'll go back to just continue to listen, here. listen to the soundboard. <laughs> no, I wanted to to close our conversation, Hannah. Yeah. About Noma, because uh, you know, all joking aside, uh, it's a complicated story. Yeah. And I feel like. I don't want to litigate the coverage. I don't want to talk about like why the Times got the exclusive and no one else yeah. has been able to get a quote from Renee. I've requested like four times to talk to him over the past year and and I've interviewed him three times and I like him. Hmm. Uh, I like him enough and I've spoken at MAD, but have you requested an interview from him? I haven't. Um, I mean, it's obviously like it could be my my beat, but um, but I don't feel really like it is. Not, yeah. not right now, at least. Um, I mean... Yeah, it's not what I'm interested in. <laughs> I just I right wonder about uh, first off, the closing of it is is kind of a non-closing because yeah. he's obviously going to operate pop-ups forever and and still cook for yeah. people. Um, it's kind of a nothing burger story. The closing, to be honest. Yeah, but the response has been so interesting. I know. This response. I, I know. And I mean, it all ties into the, the menu. <laughs> it's weird, I think, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, it's just this this obsession, this cult of personality, which is why it doesn't interest me that much, because I don't think I mean, of course, it's about the food, too. And I haven't I haven't been to Noma. I'm sure I'm sure it's incredible. I'm sure the food is is fantastic, but it's not it's not a kind of eating that I'm particularly interested in. It's not the top of my mm-hmm. of my interests in terms of food. I'm I'm much more interested in um in like daily eating and the yeah. and the like the incredible pleasures of of daily eating. In New York, which is <laughs> in like New York, tables yeah. for two. That's like the yeah, whole that's what vibe. I'm going that's... for. And sometimes I read about fancy restaurants and that's yeah. part of it too. But but yeah, this idea of some kind of untouchable, holy experience of fine dining you know, that goes even beyond like fine dining doesn't even feel like the right term because no. it's sort of like beyond it's performative that. dining. It's so, yeah. And it yeah. just, I don't know. It's like in, in the menu, he's saying this isn't, what does he say? He's like, this isn't eating. Hmm. It's, um, it's tasting. What does he say? There's like, he makes this big distinction between, do you remember? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't remember the quote, but I, I know what you're getting at. Yeah. I think that when eating is is only part of the of the restaurant experience, you're hitting onto something that I think is is really coursing through everyone's body with the the note uh, the the news of the closing of Noma. Yeah, um, yeah, and that this this level of 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 being more than just food. Yeah, it's so there's so much pressure to it, and it's like, I I I don't think that food is not art. I think food can be art. I think cooking is art. I think chefs can be artists. And I do think there's like different, there are different kind of categories and ways to think about it. Um, but it is all food. Yeah, it's all food. <laughs> and it is all eating. And and it yeah. just doesn't have to, mm-hmm. it, I don't think it has to be either or. You hinted at something about 10 minutes ago, how we're maybe at a tipping point. We're maybe at a point where of no return with this stuff. So what do you think in 10 years? Where, where are we going to be as as food writers, you and I, like, who are we going to be writing about? I mean, is it is it are we kind of done with this Michelin three star fetish? I don't know. I mean, I I think it'll always exist. I think the coverage of it very well may change and is already changing. But I think there are going to be people with a lot of money who mm-hmm. want these experiences that feel like they're only for people with a lot of money. Um, so. I don't think that stuff is going to go away, but I do think there's already been a shift 
in in coverage. I think people yeah. are like kind of leveling the playing field, and you know, it's you can see it as the Times is a perfect example, and and this has been talked about a lot. I think how Pete Wells gave you know the like a Puerto Rican food truck mm-hmm. in the Bronx, three stars, and that's more stars than he's given to lots of sort of white tablecloth yeah. Manhattan places. So it's already, I mean, and that's a big deal. He's he's setting yeah. the tone. Um, and so in 10 years, I think we're going to, I don't think we'll ever, yeah, I don't think we'll ever swing back to what things were. I don't think, I don't, I also don't think that that idea, the Mich- I don't think people are going to stop caring about Michelin stars entirely. I don't think we're going to lose tasting menus. As or- long as there's expense accounts and, and deals to close yeah. and celebrations to be had, yes. we'll have those types yes. of restaurants, which exactly. is great. You and I are not suggesting that these need to go away. No. Um, it's just about the emphasis and World's 50 Best, super complicated and troubling yeah. list of restaurants always. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll lose a little power. Yes, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, one more question. What are you what are you looking for? Like, what, what, do you have like a, a list of places that you want to write about that you're like looking for or a cuisine that you're looking for or if uh, you have a hankering for blank? I mean, New York has a lot to offer, but doesn't have everything. Is there something that you're seeking? You mean when, when I'm when I'm writing or like just sort of what do I what am I what, what do I feel like is missing? from? It's, well, I guess they kind of intertwine with you. I mean, yeah. I guess I guess yeah, coverage is different than you as a human. Right. Um, let's talk about, I guess, then from, from a journalistic point of view, what would you love to write about? I don't know if this is exactly what you mean, but like, I'm determined to do better coverage of Staten Island. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) Um, what I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's really hard. It's really hard. It's, it's hard if you're not like on the ground and it's hard to get to Staten Island and walk around looking for stuff. But, but I do feel like, like, just like the outer boroughs are hard to cover, but I want to, I really am committed to doing that as best I can because there's a lot of interesting stuff happening yeah. but it's you just have to put the time in to uncover it I mean Queens is like mm-hmm. you like I feel like I as I said I went to Queens three times in in one weekend I'm barely touching the surface there are yeah. so many just like thriving little micro communities yeah, Jackson Heights Ozone Park I mean there's yeah, so many like, great just, spots yeah and like getting into Long Island you know and like especially because the you know like historically groups of immigrants keep kind of moving further and further out. So like Long Island, New Jersey, it's like you have these amazing pockets of people from other countries making the food of, of their homes and, and just building this amazing landscape of of restaurants. So I want to continue and, and delve deeper driving outward into that driving out to Long Island. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Hannah, we asked our guests on today's podcast if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline, or the burden of budget, meaning you have all the money in the world. You've taken this question once. You're taking it again. <laughs> what would that book be? I don't think you were asking this question the last time I was I was on the podcast. Wonderful. I don't remember answering it. I also I, I love this question, but I always find it so funny because I have such like journalist mind. I'm like I'm not giving away my ideas on a podcast. What? You're not the first journalist to actually be like, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to give up my like, good ideas. Well, because okay, so I do have an idea. Uh, Let's go there. And I'm no, but I'm not going to share it because oh, I great. really do want to try to work it into an actual proposal. Okay. Um. But but when you said so, yeah, that's like I'm not. We'll I'm, go off mic. I'm so paranoid that someone will. Yeah, I'll tell you about yeah, it off mic. Yeah. Um. But but when you said um when you said without the burden of money, then I'm like, oh, that's like time is one thing, but money. Yeah. Is another. Um. So something like travel based. I don't know. I guess I would like 
just travel around the world and yeah. and write about it. As simple as that. You're just not just giving like, me your. You're not giving me your A answer. You're not giving me your A answer, and I respect it. I can't. We've gone I long. Can't. We've gone long in this interview. I'm gonna let you take a pass. Okay. We're gonna turn off the mic. You're gonna tell me. Okay. And then we're gonna see that book on a shelf in yeah. like two to three years. Yeah, exactly. And then we'll have you back to talk about that book. Excellent. I love it, Anna Goldfield. Thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Thank you. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbard. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.